Hello, everybody. Alongside Don Helbig, I'm Ryan Sir, and welcome to The Pick 6, the podcast by the Attractions Group, where we bring you the latest stories from the attractions and amusement industry. Now, Ryan, before we dive into this week's Pick 6, let me remind our listeners where they can tune in to the Attractions Group podcast. You can catch us on your favorite podcast platforms, and be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. Because that's what all the kids Ryan. are doing. That's right. Ryan, get us started. What's story number story one? Story number one. So... SeaWorld Entertainment Incorporated is rebranding as United Parks and Resorts Incorporated effective February 12th, 2024. Now, um, this, uh, this change reflects the consolidation of its seven brands across 13 parks in the U.S. and Abu Dhabi. The stock ticker on the New York Stock Exchange will shift from SEAS to symbol PRKS with trading starting February 13th, 2024. Notably, this only impacts the parent company's name where individual parks will retain their identities. Don, it's been seized for a long time. Why are they doing this? Well, it just makes you know sense because of the different type of brands that they have seven different brands across 13 parks. So I think it's a way to kind of have, you know, just make it sound more diversified with the portfolio, I think. I, I, I understand that. And that seems to be the narrative that they're pushing as well. My question, though, is why does it matter what the parent company is named? I feel like there's another reason for doing this. And maybe it's that maybe you're right. Maybe it's uh, something about appealing to uh, unit per, uh, stock purchasers or something where it's like, oh, it's just SeaWorld. And maybe there's a bad connotation to SeaWorld because of Blackfish or something. Um, but it, it's interesting that they would do this. Uh, it's a very expensive process to change your name, you know, because they have a lot of SeaWorld Parks mm-hmm. and Entertainment stuff out there. Uh, do you, people have been speculating that this is an implication that they might be acquiring more parks. I don't necessarily think that's wrong. I mean, they could be, but, you know, time will tell. That is true. Don, what's story number two? Dollywood's 2024 festival lineup has been released. The enchanting saga begins with the I Will Always Love You music festival from March 9th to April 14th, inviting fans to delve into the art of songwriting and discover the stories behind cherished tunes. As spring blooms, the Flower and Food Festival, April 19th to June 9th, unfolds with iconic cultures, mouthwatering seasonal flavors, and spectacular entertainment bringing the vibrant colors of the season to life. The sun-soaked days of the Smoky Mountain Summer Celebration, June 15th, August 11th, stretches into the sweet summer nights, offering inspiring bursts of color and family-favorite shows. Then you transition into the fall at the Harvest Festival, September 9th to October 28th, where autumn days burst into the vivid color and the nights twinkle with illuminated surprises. Finally, you wrap up the year in the enchanting embrace of the Smoky Mountain Christmas, November 1st to January 5th, featuring a winter wonderland adorned with over 6 million twinkling lights, festive flavors, and heartwarming holiday shows. Each festival promises a unique chapter in the Dollywood experience. So, Ryan, which one captivates your anticipation the most? Did you do that whole monologue in one breath? That was impressive. I did. Uh, and we, we've talked about with Dollywood... Um, 
how they do a lot right. There's always something there, you know, it, you know, and this comes back to Epcot as well. There, there's like a two week lull between events. You know, you go into from I, I will always love you festival to spring celebration to summer to um, the the fall fest is what they call it. Not pumpkins, right? Yeah, it's fall fest there. And then Smoky Mountain Christmas Harvest Festival. Harvest Festival. That's it. Um, uh, God, if, if you're asking me what my favorite is, probably, I really like the, um, the spring one. I, I like the topiaries. My favorite topiary, by the way, is the Dolly Parton coat of many colors one, as I've stated many times. Uh, but I, I think that's my favorite. And I, and, and part of it might be that I really like the spring, the time of year it's getting warm, but it's not too hot. You have nothing but summer to look forward to. So I, yeah, I would say that. Which which one captivates you? Smoky Mountain Christmas, because I think, you know, no other park during the holiday season captures the spirit of the season the way Dollywood does. I mean, the park is just stunning with six million lights. Uh, you've got the the great food. They have the, the rides, you know, all open. It's not uh, where it's just, you know, a select number of the rides open during the Christmas event. So you still get you know, the Dollywood experience during the day and then the sun goes down and, you know, the place just pops with all the lights and the, there's the festive decor and all those kind of things. So I, I really love the Christmas event, uh, but I do have to say the uh, Harvest Festival is very well done too. all the decor, the food, um, you know, it looks spectacular. So if you've not been to Dollywood in the fall, and I know a lot of a lot of our listeners have gone to the Christmas event, but if you've not gone in the fall, make sure you do that because it's a can't miss experience. Yeah. Actually chalk me up as somebody that's never been to the harvest festival. I've been to every other festival more than once, except for, you know, the, I will always love you festival since last year was the first year. So I've been there once. Yeah. But they do it like it's a tastefully done Halloween event where it's not about the scary and the mazes and the monsters roaming around. It's, you know, geared for families and it's just such a fun time. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's move along. So we're sticking with Dollywood uh, with this one. So in a dazzling acknowledgement, National Geographic has unveiled its prestigious list of top 22 hotels worldwide for 2024 with Dollywood's Heart Song Lodge and Resort securing a well-deserved spot. The exquisite resort in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee has not only captivated guests, but also earned recognition as part of National Geographic's worth a trip category. <laughs> worth a trip category. Don's worth hanging out with. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Adding to the accolades, Dolly Parton, the iconic singer and creator of Dollywood, has been dubbed the hospitality queen among nine distinguished travelers of the year. This recognition is a testament to her impact as a game changer, making a difference in the world of travel. Very impressive for a resort that's, what, less than a year old, right? It hasn't been around long, you're right. Um, less than a year, and to get that recognition right off the bat... I mean, they had to really wow the guests that stayed there to get that kind of conversation going to make this list. But again, Dollywood does so many things right. And this is just another example with the Heart Song Lodge and Resort. What do you think? And I think that this question has been answered. We've had a couple people that are tied to Hershend and Dollywood and, and so on on here. Why does Dollywood do so many things right? And, and I'll give you a clue on what I'm thinking. It's not that they make a bunch of good business decisions. What are, what are your thoughts? If you had to summarize it. I think you got a lot of really good people 
involved in the company, involved working at the park. Um, I think that's a big piece of it. It's just it comes down to people a lot of times. I agree. I would say bigger umbrella. It's they care. It's simple as that. Yeah, they, they care. care. Right. They care. They want you to have a good right. experience. They want you to walk away with memories. Every park says that. And but if you're, yeah, but if you you're from the top, you know, if it starts at the top and if it trickles down and you see, like if you're working and say your rides at Dollywood and you see your managers and their managers and, you know, the general manager and, you know, Dolly, everybody cares about the, you know, every guest that comes through the gates and they genuinely care about the experience that you're having. I mean, that's going to trickle down and you're going to want to make sure that you're delivering or meeting that expectation uh, of, you know, what the culture is there. So, I mean, they've, they've created just a phenomenal culture, I think. Yeah. Very infamously, you know, there were very high end people at certain companies that would say things on conference call, public conference calls saying like, who cares about the quality of food? People got to eat. Somebody that if they said that, if they were a line cook at a Hershen Park, that would be their last day. This was yeah. a very high end official, you know. Yeah, I mean the cult the culture is in place, and everybody you know buys into it, or you probably don't last long, you know, with, with that company if you don't buy into it. Uh, but they do generally care about every guest, and if there is something that uh, goes awry, and you know they're going to work hard to fix it and fix it there. And everybody seems to be empowered to fix any kind of issues that would come up. You know, and part of it is Southern hospitality. It's the culture. So everybody is. One thing I did notice when I first started going there was I, I was, you know, when I was younger, I didn't appreciate this as much. This is like 10 years ago or so. But it like I was always annoyed that you know, the ride operators would like say hi to everybody as they're checking the restraints. I'm like, oh, these operations are terrible. Um, nowadays, like, I think that's like the best part of some of these parks is that they're personable. Now, the operations have gotten better in the last 10 years, I might add, but they didn't lose any of that. Like everybody's personable. You know, nobody acts like they don't want to be there. And that's just so evident in a lot of places in and out of the industry. And you just don't see that there. And uh, just quickly, if you have not ridden Thunderhead over the past year or so, get the Dollywood Ride It Now. It is running fantastic, probably better than it ever has before. Love that ride. Oh, yeah. Dude, Thunderhead. Thunderhead um, was pretty good when I rode it the first time 10 years ago. And then several years ago, I rode it and it was like, yeah, I'm good with once. And now it's running like it's brand new. Whatever they did worked. Uh, and then ride Big Bear Mountain, which isn't too far from it. All right, moving light right along. Well, get ready for the magical Animals Aglow Lantern event at the St. Louis Zoo in Missouri. Opening on March 13th and running on select dates until May 5th, this enchanting experience will dazzle you with over 60 larger-than-life Chinese lanterns and captivating plant and animal-shaped light displays scattered throughout the zoo. I like turtles. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we always throw in these zoo, <laughs> these zoo stories, but uh, six, important. 60 larger than life Chinese lanterns. Um, are they the ones that you light and like let go, you think? Or, or are they like on display? It looks to me like they're going to be on display. Okay. I was going to say 60 large 
larger than life Chinese lanterns. Yeah, that would be a fire hazard if they did 60 giant <laughs> lanterns. Yeah, and uh, animal-shaped light displays. I mean, it's this is going to be really cool. Yeah, I love how zoos have been able able to um, not necessarily. This one obviously opens in March, which is probably still a pretty slow season for them, unless it's like field trip season or something. But there's something about this particular uh, this particular season that they needed this in order to draw more. Uh, I'm guessing March 13th through May 5th tells me that they're open till five normally, and they're thinking we can do a full turnover of people, like we can repopulate the park between six and 10 or something. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. You know, they, they do a great job with that. All right. Moving right along. Pixar place hotel now opened at Disneyland resort in Anaheim offers guests an imaginative twist on hospitality in the spirit of Pixar's creativity. The fully renovated hotel situated on the site of the former paradise pier hotel is a whimsical haven adorned with vibrant character artwork from beloved films like the Incredibles turning red and toy story. The grand opening on January 30th, 2024, showcased lively characters and provided a playful glimpse into the Pixar-inspired atmosphere. Upcoming additions, such as the rooftop pool bar, Small Bites, promised more delightful surprises for visitors eager to experience a dash of Pixar-style sweetness in every detail. Uh, I have not made it out to Disneyland, but um, I remember seeing that they, they announced that this was ready to rock. It's a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, we did talk about it a few weeks ago as part of the pick six that they were ready to open this. Um, you know, I really like the way that, you know, whether it's Disney parks, what we're seeing, you know, with Universal that, um, you know, Dollywood, that they're really making the hotel experience more than just a place to get some sleep. You know, it's 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 uh, you know it's part of the experience when you go down there. I mean, it, there's a lot of activities, a lot of things for kids to do. Uh, you want to spend more time in the hotel. Um, I, I think it's it's really great to see over the last ten years how um, you know the hotels and resorts have kind of evolved to become an experience rather than just a place to stay. I uh, I completely agree. Um, I think that uh, it's a huge revenue generator. Uh, is the hotels. And if you can draw people to there as opposed to staying at the Hilton down the road slightly cheaper, that's what you need to do for the sake of business, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Final story. And I really found this story, you know, fascinating. Uh, Matthew Abels uncovered a forgotten 1978 Walt Disney World ticket, initially priced at $8 and a family keeps uh, keepsake. Despite apprehension, he decided to use the well-preserved ticket at Magic Kingdom. So in a TikTok video, which has nearly 9 million views, Abel's recounted how, upon presenting the vintage ticket, a cast member initially stamped it with void. However, a short time later, he was pleasantly surprised when he received a yellow pass granting him access to the park for the day. Hmm. Now, today's one-day ticket to Magic Kingdom, it ranges anywhere from $109 to $164. Uh, so contrasting significantly with the original $8 value of Abel's find. Upon successfully entering the park, Abel's couldn't contain his amazement, stating, I can't believe this actually worked. Now, this discovery transformed an old family keepsake into a remarkable and cost-effective Disney experience for Abel's. So um, what do you think about that story, Ryan? Um, stand by. I'm going to do 
a little bit of math. So let's figure out. There was there was not yeah, but there was not any like on his ticket. It did not have a validity date. You know, there was no you had to use by this date kind of a thing that you see on so many tickets, um, you know, out there in the industry. And I started thinking, well, you know, I've got some old ski ball tickets. I wonder if you know I'd be able to redeem them at a place like Kings Island. You know, uh, that I've had from the seventies. Uh, but I I like the fact that the park because it did not have an expiration date on it, allowed them to use it. Yeah, absolutely. What, so I imagine that probably probably Kings Island never really, since it's seasonal, it probably always had like 1972 season, but do you think Kings Island would let somebody in with a ticket from 1975 if it looked legit? <laughs> it looked legit, yeah. But I mean, those do have only valid for the season which it was purchased for because it is a seasonal park. So they always had that uh, kind of disclaimer on there. Yeah, so um, I did the math and I used an inflation calculator. So we're talking about 1978 to 2023 numbers. His $8 ticket would have cost $37.39 in today's world. Currently charging 109 to 164. Now, with that being said, 164 is for four parks, not just one. This is a whole different yeah. ball game, but I just did that math kind of for fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he just hopped on a plane to see if it would work and you know, it did, I guess he would have been prepared to buy the, you know, the, the gate price if it wasn't accepted. What if he, his ticket didn't work and he wasn't prepared to buy the gate price, but he paid for parking. Where do you fit that conundrum into the mix? Exactly. This reminds me years ago, mm-hmm. In the early 80s, uh, I worked at a Chick-fil-A and had a stack of, you know, the the cards, you know, that was you, you would give out to people, you know, yeah. to redeem for a free sandwich. And that. I still have in a box somewhere probably about 100 of those cards. Really? So I wonder if I it did not have an expiration date on it. So I wonder if I started using it at Chick-fil-A, if they'd let me use it. I've got a feeling that if you try to use that at Chick-fil-A the manager, whoever's working, just wouldn't recognize it and would think it's not like you made it, you know? <laughs> probably. Because that, that would be but... my thought with like a Kings Island ticket because, and, and I'm not faulting the park because I, I would make the same decision, but if somebody came in with a ticket that didn't look like current tickets, and even if it didn't have the year, because you wouldn't think to put 1975 on it unless it was just for the 1975 season, just as an example, which in their situation, they probably did. But let's say this was just a ticket. They were just selling you a ticket, which in 72, that might have been what they did. I have yeah. no idea. But, uh, you know, if you walk in and you've got this ticket that looks nothing like their tickets, they'd probably tell you to go away, you know. So, um, but the thing, though, is yeah, but I just found that to be an interesting story and just thought, uh, you know, we'd include that in our pick six because it's it's a little different. Yeah, I actually had heard that story before you included it in the pick six, but. Uh, I'm glad they they made good with it, and it's a good story, and it's a good showcase of uh, Disney World's uh, customer service level because they did they did not have to do that. Let's be nine honest. million views on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yep, going viral without even trying. That's what it takes. Absolutely. Okay. Don, let's move on. To- I posted a TikTok video like four months ago, and I think I have four views on it. But I don't anyway. have a TikTok account, so I've got zero views. Um, let's move on to the listener question. <laughs> All right, this one comes from Morris Oglethorpe. He says, hailing from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Yes. Very cold there. I've, I've been through there. Very cold. Because I go on annual summer pilgrimage 
to the United States for a roller coaster trip. This year, I aim to collect new credits by experiencing Snoopy soapbox racers at Kings Island and Good Gravy at Holiday World, both Vacoma boomerang coasters. While they share similarities, they're not identical rides. As a devoted fan of the podcast, thanks, Morse. I'm eager to hear your recommendation on which coaster you think might be the better of the two. Also, is there any possibility of a meetup at Kings Island on my visit scheduled for July 9th? Now, Ryan, I've got the ceramics class in the morning and the Reds play the Colorado Rockies that night, so I'm not going to be able to be there on July 9th. But will you be able to be there on the 9th to meet one of our fans? Uh, I wouldn't rule it out. If you're going to come all the way from Canada, uh, slide into our DMs closer to the event, and I'll try to make it out there and at least say hi and ride something with you if you want. Um, which one's going to be better? Uh, I think the ride experiences, as far as the sensations and the G-forces and stuff, are going to be tantamount to each other. Which theme is going to be better? I'm not sure. You know, because you and I, based on our discussions, it sounds like we'll default to like, oh, good gravy. It's the more creative and stuff. But I don't want to discount Snoopy Soapbox Racers because Camp Snoopy's going to be cool, too. Camp Snoopy's going to be very cool, but I don't know that you're going to have that storytelling component to it that you're going to have with good gravy. I mean, there's a whole story, backstory, as you're going, the, the, you know, going through the queue. Is an experience for you. It's that and good gravy. Yeah. So I think because of the storytelling component, I think that's going to be superior to what you're going to see with Snoopy Soapbox Racers. Now the right experience, as you mentioned, probably going to be you know little subtle differences with that, but I I don't see you know while you're going through the queue that there's this you know big backstory um, that leads you you know up to the ride. You know I I agree and I and it it's funny because especially now toying around with like a lot of these parks down South where like theming is the big thing and stuff. I often kind of wonder where I start my judgment because mentally I was thinking you get in the train and then from there, which experience is better, which I think that between the two of them, it, it, that would be a good debate. We'd have to ride them to know. But if you want to talk about walking through the queue and stuff like that, if you want to include that into the ride experience, no doubt good gravy has got to be, well, I think it's a big part of it. But you know, but but at the same time, you get immersed. You get immersed into but, it. But but at the same time, to be fair, when somebody says, like for example, um, Harry Potter, Harry Potter in the um, Escape from Gringotts, a lot of people that are like big coaster enthusiasts are like, I don't like that ride because it's a roller coaster, but it's not very intense. And then you come back with the argument of like, it's not designed to be intense. It's got, you know, the show elements and stuff, but you might also have to throw in, like you have to walk through Gringotts to get to the ride. And that's even before you like enter the queue. So uh, it, that's an interesting thought experiment as to, and I, on honestly, I think that, you know, you entering the park and walking to the ride is all the ride experience is some of its parts. If it's a really good ride in a really bad park, it's not going to be as good of a ride. But if it's a pretty good ride in a really good park, it's going to be a great ride. Uh, it's just the way the human brain works. Mm -hmm. Cool. Don, no, great Don, question, Morris. Don, Appreciate where it. is Moose Jaw? It's uh, in Saskatchewan. Okay. Where it's extremely cold during months. 
Yeah, it's I know uh, about it because you know being you know growing up and being a hockey fan and working professional hockey and that uh, um, that's why I'm familiar with Moose Jaw Saskatchewan. So, but is Moose Jaw like I, I, I'm familiar? I, I've heard of Moose Jaw, obviously, and I know Saskatchewan. But is it further north or or how how far north is it? I just know you know Saskatchewan and. You know, we're on a bus. We're just driving and stuff, and you know, it's just cold. So you just remember that's all I, that's all I know. You about. remember waking up through a and looking through a frosted window that oh, moose jaw in two kilometers. I just remember very, just remember very cold. You know, and uh, there was a, a hockey team, the Moose Jaw Warriors. Mm-hmm. You know, wanted to see a game, a junior hockey game in the Western Hockey League, and just that whole Western Hockey League. You know, those cities you had Moose Jaw had. Uh, Brandon, you had Red Deer in Alberta, you know, all those places just, you know, it gets, it gets dark around three in the morning. I mean, three in the afternoon. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't get light until about eight in the morning. So it's just one of those kind of three. I've only seen it in the wintertime, maybe in the summer. It's beautiful, you know, and there's a lot of farmers. Yeah. That, that's one thing I've noticed. Like um, a lot of the places that hockey are just, ter- or, yeah, you play hockey or you're a wheat farmer. Well, a lot of the places that are like terrible in the winter are beautiful in the summer. Uh, like look at like Minnesota, Minnesota is beautiful in the summer, but it's got some of the worst winters out there, but awesome. Yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for listening. I was wondering who that person that was downloading our podcast out of Canada was, <laughs> but, uh, now we know. Yeah. Now, now we know. And it'll be interesting to hear which one, I mean, Kings Island people are going to always think that soapbox racer is better, or it's going to be one of those weird inverse things where good gravy is so much better and soapbox racer stupid, you know, but it'll be interesting to hear what the general consensus is as to which one's better. Cause I feel like, um, the ride experience is going to be tantamount either way, but you're right. That cue and stuff, that's going to get you hyped up and very, very cool. But thanks yeah. Morris for submitting that question. Very good question. Um, yeah. So, uh, that wraps up another pick six. Remember to follow us on X slash Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. Uh, you can listen to our audio podcast on all your favorite podcast apps or watch the video version on YouTube by searching for the Attractions Group Podcast. Don, do you have any final thoughts about any of these fine pick six options that we had for this fine week? I think we had some good stories. And, you know, as we now move into February, you know, parks are starting to gear up. So there's going to be a lot more for us to even talk about than we've already had over the past couple of months. I completely agree. We got some good shows coming up. So make sure you stick around, uh, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google, or you're watching on YouTube. But awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Back here live at the Waterfront Village with my friend, the zombie, Jonathan. You're looking good. Jonathan just got an awesome face paint job. What do you think? I like turtles. All right, you're great zombie. Good times here at the Waterfront Village, open for the next 11 days.